God, I can't believe it. What we've got here is failure to communicate. This is me, James Roast. It's Wednesday afternoon and it's another episode of the Happiness Algorithm. We're going to be talking all things mental health, emotional well-being and what can make us that bit happier. I'll be sharing what I've been reading this week, give you something to think about for the, uh, the upcoming week. And I've got a very special guest in the studio that is going to be talking to me about his journey, his relationship with mental health and emotional well-being. So I hope you're all settled down nicely, got yourself a cup of tea, relaxed. We're going to be locked in until three o'clock. Okay, so uh, I hope you've all had a good week. I've had a pretty good week. Uh, it's been busy, a busy, busy month. Certainly January has felt, um, it's felt long for me. Very, 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 very long. Uh, but, yep, yeah, happy points, happy points throughout the week. Been reading some really interesting stuff uh, and I want to share uh, what I've been reading this week. And the blog article I was reading was actually entitled why we owe it to ourselves to spend quiet time alone every single day. And it goes on to say that by not giving ourselves the minutes or hours free of devices and distractions, we risk losing our ability to know who we are and what's important to us. It it draws a comparison because it says since 1970, human beings have destroyed more than 30% of forests and marine ecosystems. And unintended consequence of population growth, the desire for increased material wealth and comfort, and the associated need for more energy. But it said the destruction of our inner selves via the wired world is an even more recent and more subtle phenomenon. The loss of slowness of time, uh, the time that we find for reflection and contemplation, of privacy and solitude, of silence, of the ability to sit quietly in a chair for 15 minutes without external stimulations, it's all happened quickly and invisibly. 150 years ago, the telephone didn't exist. 50 years ago, the internet didn't exist. 25 years ago, Google didn't even exist. It says that the situation is dire. Just as with global warming, we may already be near the point of no return. Invisibly, almost without notice, we're losing ourselves. We're losing our ability to know who we are and what's important to us. We're creating a global machine in which each of us is a mindless 
and reflexive cog, relentlessly driven by speed, noise and artificial urgency of the wired world. And those that I've spoke to, and I think I've said it on the on the show before, we're almost creating this uh, artificial happiness as well. And that's what the happiness algorithm is, is, is about. It's trying to get us to refine, find the time to be reflexive, and uh, and to consider and find that quiet where we can do things that are adding value to our life because too quickly life is passing us by and you know I just want to make a nod to I don't want to go off in a different direction on a on a sports show but certainly for you know there was a massive loss in the world of sport we're well, in the world general this week with with Kobe Bryant and I saw this beautiful um, social media post that said you know leaving your home and getting back safely um, is such uh, it's such an underrated blessing and I think that we should all sort of find that time sometimes let's find that time to consider what is important in our lives and not be sort of too preoccupied with you know social media likes or sending that next email or not picking up the phone when a loved one's calling because we've got a we've got to tend to something in work I think we should all find that time and I think that you know look we've got until three o'clock and if we can find five minutes in the show or if you can sit and uh, and 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 protect their time up until three o'clock to listen to the to my mad ramblings uh, and the intelligent ramblings of my guests uh, then please do because i think we should all all carve out that time um so without further ado i am going to introduce you to my very special guest today um i have uh, tracked this guy for a while on on well, on, on social media, on LinkedIn, really. And uh, I'm pleased that I've, I've managed to pin him down and get him on the show. Because I think that the story he'll be sharing with you today is one that will hit home and uh, will resonate with a lot of you listening here on the Happiness Algorithm. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my guest, uh, Mr. Lee Glynn. Thank you very much, James. Thanks for having me. Well, Mr. Lee Glynn, so for, for the purpose of the listeners, uh, you are a mental health uh, mentor, motivational speaker, founder and award-winning group CEO uh, for Reliable for the Reliable Healthcare Group. Indeed. But with many others, and we're going to come on to these, but Squishy Saurus, Mystery Vibe, and also for Vir- business, uh, Virgin Business Startup as well. Yes. A man of many talents. Well, like a Swiss army knife. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And a very dapper Swiss army knife. When when we put uh, the, the, the show photos up later, you will see. I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. I, I felt very underdressed. Smartest man in Essex. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I am the group CEO of Reliable Healthcare Group. Um, I've been within recruitment for... 22 years since I was about 16 years of age. I've got two lovely daughters who are my inspiration, Alyssa who is 12 and Amelia who's four. Um, And they're the ones that drive me every single day to to do the best that I can. Um, And obviously being invited to the show to share my story um, is something that I am passionate about um, because I did try to commit suicide when I was younger and I'm sure James will get onto that point but that's a story that I want to share and I feel privileged to be invited onto your show James. Well I'm, I'm delighted to have you on and as I say that was the one thing that um, as I say I've been trying to pin Lee down for a while because um, you're very um, 
open with that story and you know and, and, and through the various um, mediums in which you sort of communicate from a business perspective you're very open you've blogged about it in the past as well and I think you know everything that the happiness algorithm stands for is spreading that normalizing that conversation so that people are not um, are not suffering in silence in some way um, and it's really pleasing that there's individuals like yourself that are able to feel the confidence uh, to, to share that and want to help others Tell me a little bit about um, the Reliable Healthcare Group. So let, let's uh, let's start about what you do and, and your business. So Reliable Healthcare Group are a national um, provider for healthcare workers, i.e. nurses, doctors, support workers, uh, carers that look after, um, I'd say, young children and adults with learning disabilities, uh, physical disabilities, um, alcohol and drug misuse um, and then into the general public the NHS mm. looking after the elderly um, people that have surgery so theatre nurses recovery nurses um, it's a general consensus that obviously the NHS is in disarray at the moment mm. um, so if my agency can help um, along the way fill the void for the nurses and provide a, a quality service to them then we'll be able to do it the company's been going nearly three years now, uh, but like I said in my introduction, I've been in recruitment for 22. I set up Reliable Healthcare Group to help my clients reduce their agency spend because there is a big sort of underlining mark that agencies are costing the NHS and private sectors too much money, where I've tried to flip it and have a long-term relationship with my clients by reducing their agency spend where they can spend it on their service or the hospital or the residents and patients. Excellent. And 22 years in, in recruitment, yep. how did you get into it? Um, I think if you interview anyone in recruitment, they always say they fall into recruitment. Uh, so I'm not going to break that, that spell. I did fall in recruitment at 16. I was studying for my A-levels and I just wanted a part-time job to earn a little bit of money. So um, in Dagenham, where I was raised, um, there was a recruitment agency, industrial recruitment agency, um, so I went in there and said, have you got any jobs? They said, we've got a trainee recruitment role. I said, okay, I'll take it. Um, didn't even ask how much it paid, it was a job. Um, and we was opposite Falls Motor Plant. Um, and I asked them if we could provide there. And they said, don't be silly, they're, they're a massive organization. They've, they've got a PSL. And I said, oh, what's a PSL? Um, so I said, me being me, can I go over there and just see if I can get the business? They laughed at me, I went over there, long story short, spoke to the production manager, come away with 300 orders, um, and the rest was history. Um, well, there's confidence there. Uh, confident, shaking, most really trying to prove to everyone that I can do it, but trust me, when I was doing my first meeting, I couldn't get my words out. <laughs> uh, I think they took pity. So uh, obviously 22 years in the industry and then three years ago you set up Reliable Healthcare Group. Yep. What, what, where, how did that come about and what was the reason for that break and then setting it up? Yeah, well, I've worked with uh, some fantastic organisations in the past that have uh, taught me a lot um, about the industry. Um, some great CEOs, um, one Brian Crowley for TTM Healthcare has taught me a lot and that was my last employed role through them. Um, the reason why I wanted to set it up was obviously to run it my way um, and introduce a sort of mental health well-being as well. Because a lot of companies advertise in their job specs that they, deal, they do mental health well-being and a lot of them do go through with it. But some of them that I've 
spoken to ex-employees they're like well I've left the company because they portray mental health well-being in a workplace but don't actually deliver on it so since the three years we've been sort of concepted I've had around about six or seven employees go through mental health and breakdowns and depression and it's very hard for me as a businessman to say well I don't want to deal with it because you're losing me money but I flipped it because if we deal with the issue and help them get through it they can become a better person for me and a better employee and produce better results. So that's the reason why I set up Reliable Healthcare Group, so I can control what I want to deliver. Why do you think that there is that, um, neglect is perhaps too strong a word, but yeah. why do you think there's not that emphasis um, on mental health? It, well, in, especially in the workplace, I think it's because results count. You know, especially in my sector of recruitment, if you don't, if you if you're not producing the results, time after time, then there's got to be a limit to say, right, you're not working out. We've got to let you go. Mm. But it's down to that employee as well to open up why they're not producing the results. And if the employee doesn't open up about their mental health or their anxiety, no one can help. And that's the stigma that I'm trying to break down. That it's okay to suffer mm. because if you are suffering and you're not being open and dealing with it, it's only gonna get worse. And you're only gonna go into that black hole and you're not gonna be able to come out of it. So if they're talking to their employer and their employer's still not doing nothing for it, they're in the wrong company then. But if the employer is helping them and supporting them, then they should stick with it, embrace what their employer is trying to do and be open about their day-to-day -day struggles. Mm. Uh, because I, I I get a lot of mention on LinkedIn where I put posts on and people message me directly and say, I don't want to speak to my employer because I'm frightened they might sack me. Well, unfortunately, we live in a world, if that's going to happen, we do have people in the world that don't care yeah. and they might sack you, but at least you're out of that. Why would you want to be in that job mm. with an employer or a boss like that? They're just going to get rid of you without sitting with you and going through the emotions and saying, right, this is how we can support you. We can give you three months worth of support and let's see how it improves and let's see if we can review it from there. Um, and I just think it's all about money. You yeah. know, as a business, you want to make money, um, you know, because if you've got overheads, you need to cover them. But if you treat your staff the right way and give them the support, 100% they're going to give it back to you. So you get a great return from that. Absolutely, yeah. And I suppose it's prizing both the staff coming. So you've got, you, you've got um, individuals coming into the workplace that you're then filtering out into the NHS. Yep. And then you've got those relationship with, with the NHS. And, and I suppose relationship being the key word that underpins the, the business, the importance of emotional well-being Abs and absolutely rapport um, building and relationship building one with my employees plus my workers and my clients is so important mm. because we've got a f we've got a focus on not just our employees suffering from from depression or mental health it's our workers as well because yeah. they're i think that it's the record number of nurses that have committed suicide due mm. to the struggles uh, uh, and the short staff of of nurses in the industry it's just been put upon them to do double shifts, you know, working 14, 24 hours a day. No one can work that long, especially no. when they're in this specialty looking after people. Um, so I think we need to sort of promote well-being in the workplace to another level, not just talking about it, actually actioning the talking that we're saying. Mm. And what's your thoughts on, um, you know, we are seeing a lot of traction 
um, in the environment around uh, mental health first aid and and you know clearly mental health and emotional well-being is important for you and your workforce um, should it be a statutory obligation throughout 100% um, I feel you're never going to know if someone is suffering without that person speaking out mm. you look at likes of Robin Williams living behind a smile committed suicide Heath Ledger um, these are celebrities, these are in the public eye. So they, they feel they can't portray how they feel because they might be judged. And that's the one thing that people shouldn't fear is being judged. So if people are speaking openly about it, then we can put the mental health like first aid in place. So there is a designated person that is trained mm. in talking and approaching that subject without just saying, well, it's in your head or go and have an extra hour lunch break and come back and see how you feel. Mm -hmm. People don't want to hear that. People want to hear some advice that relates to them individually um, because everyone suffers from some form of anxiety and depression at a different level. It could just be walking to the shop and you get anxious or it could actually be, I can't get out of bed because I'm so scared, I'm fearful of going to work. So we've got to anticipate and understand what level our employees are suffering sort of mental health at mm. um, so definitely having a designated person mm. in a workplace should be compulsory and that and creating that that safe environment you know what you've what you've got set up um in your organization where people immediately come in and feel as though they can they can have that conversation that they can express it that there is someone yourself or or you know somebody else there that they can go and approach and talk about yeah, absolutely. Um, you've got to be able to have an open door policy on this mm. on this subject. Even if you as a person are afraid to tackle it and talk to that individual, you've got to start somewhere because if you keep shutting your employees down regarding their mental health um, state of mind, then one, they could commit suicide mm. and they could leave a family behind, family members, and you're going to have that on your conscience. Oh, I should have spoke to them. Mm. But it's too late. You, I'd rather do something now before it is too late. So employers out there, if you are actually listening, please have an open mind when it comes to your staff because one, they are one of the key things in your business mm. that run your business. So you've got to look after them as much as you can. And I suppose it's, you know, that, that, you know emphasizing that, that shout out to, to the employers, it's, I think a lot of people feel almost quite nervous or apprehensive about saying the wrong thing. And I, and I think from my perspective, it's not that you, you it's not that you can say the wrong thing J just being able to sort of approach someone else you know to you know to say to ask the question are you okay that that's not going to cause any trouble that's not going to cause any harm just asking someone if they're okay opens up that channel of dialogue to then you know even if the other person the individual doesn't feel confident enough to share where they're at at least they know that they've been seen in some way that something's not quite right you know is there something wrong or you know can I do anything to help you you know I think sometimes from the employer's perspective it's, it's trying to find that confidence and reach out to someone else totally agree um, if you're speaking to your employee or a staff member and you make that initial conversation are you okay that could open up 
as you said, dialogue and a mm. whole conversation, that person telling you everything that's gone on within the last month, mm. last week, last year, and what they're suffering. It might not even be their suffering. It might be the family member suffering, their wife, their husband, mm. boyfriend, girlfriend, children that are suffering and they're about to deal with it and mm. it's bringing them down as mm. well. So there can be a conversation how they can get help for their family member or friends whilst they're getting help as well to deal with it. Um, so yeah, the social, the, the social aspect of coming to work feeling okay and you want to come to work and be okay does certainly stem from the senior management team or even team members or their or their peers to say look are oh, you okay you seem a bit mm. down today do you want to come and have a chat five minute coffee or let's take you to lunch mm. and moving away from the office environment will get people to open up a bit because they mm. won't feel pressure to to speak about how they're feeling mm. um, or even text message you know mm. text me how you're feeling yeah. or send me an email how you're feeling Obviously, it won't be disclosed. Um, like I said, on social media, on LinkedIn, I get hundreds of messages from people saying, thank you very much for speaking openly. Um, I'm going through it. Mm. And then obviously, I'm not clinically obliged to diagnose someone. Mm. I can't give them the advice as a professional. I only can give my advice as someone that's gone through it before mm. and what I've learned and what I've had to deal with in the past and how I still try to control it now. Mm. So that's my only advice is giving them what I've gone through and how I've sort of targeted and battled it. So if that works for them, great. If it doesn't, then obviously they can source another means of getting getting help. Yeah, and I, and, and that, I think that's, uh, you know, I'm a big um, advocate for that, that, that shared conversation and, and mentors and, and lived experience because, you know, I think at times people that are in crisis even fear... Uh, seeking out a professional through even in that relationship fear of judgment you know we know that there's uh, you, you know if if we're in crisis we're we're we're, we're feeling vulnerable there's an air of fragility about us whether that not, not just from an emotional perspective but even physically as well if we went to the doctor because we had a, a backache we're in a position of vulnerability but but certainly from a mental health perspective there should never be an imbalance of power it's a shared relationship so i could logically speaking from the world of psychology psychotherapy counseling there's always uh, what underpins that process is the relationship it's the shared collaborative effort that's moving someone in the right direction there is no font of all knowledge but actually what we can do and as i say through this platform of the happiness algorithm if we can share the lived experience the knowledge that we have um then hopefully it enables people to feel confident that they're not isolated they're not on their own we can't we can't remove the vulnerability or fragility there because that's that's felt but i think it's lovely to see that people are reaching out through the platforms that that you're on and um and 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 saying how they feel and and from a work perspective i think this is it and you know not not to bang on too much about the employers but when we go back to the idea of employers feeling a bit frightened or nervous about opening up that conversation they don't have to be the font of all knowledge they don't have to be sigmund freud they don't have to be a sort of psychiatrist and and fix all yeah. and i think certainly from a male perspective sometimes because the male brain is predominantly hardwired to problem solve and fix for males they fall into that trap sometimes i think oh, i need to deal with this yeah. but actually you know problem shared is a problem half sort of thing so together you're lifting that individual work colleague family friend out of that position of fun of isolation yep and actually moving them in the right direction hopefully no you're absolutely right um 
for me, obviously being a, <laughs> being a man, it's pride that stops you from talking because mm. you've got to be this alpha male that I'm a man, I shouldn't be suffering. If I'm suffering, I'm going to suffer in silence because people are going to think I'm a wimp. Mm. And, and, then, and as the boss as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You have to lead by example and mm. lead by the front. So if you're suffering, you don't want to let anyone show it, mm. uh, anyone see that you're suffering. Mm. And sometimes I don't, but they are very, they know where I've been and what I've done. I'm very open with it. And that's why I think they can open up to me because I've been there. Some of them might take advantage of it. <laughs> it's only a couple of extra days holiday because I'm not feeling right. <laughs> But so be it, if that's what it's gonna to take to allow them to have that couple of days to come back refreshed and in a new set and a new mind and set state of mind, then I'm gonna do it 100% because losing 100 pounds on holiday is gonna gain me a new employee. Yeah, that's wonderful. So let's, um, uh, you know, that first bit's flown by. It is, yeah. It's really flown by. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go into your, as everyone that listens to the happiness algorithm or, or any new listeners coming through today, welcome. Um, all of my guests get to choose uh, their own songs. Uh, as those that listened last week, I had um, Matt and Dan from Croft and & Coates and we spoke a lot about music and the importance of music on our um, mental health and emotional well-being. And I've always made it a stipulation that my guests choose their own music because it's so important to add to the narrative and their journey of what they're sharing. So I think we'll go to your first song uh, and then we'll go into some ads and we'll come back and we'll we'll dive a little bit deeper into, um, again, why it's so important to you and some of those early years and what you alluded to earlier, that suicide attempt as well. And, uh, and no we worries. can pull that apart. So uh, this, is, uh, this is Lee's first uh, track, which is... Uh, Phil Collins in the air tonight. It is indeed. I was there and I saw what you did 
Yes, it's me, James Roast. Uh, This is the Happiness Algorithm. Uh, That was Phil Collins in the air tonight, and that was my guest, Lee Glynn's first record of the show. Uh, Lee, why did you choose that song? Um, I think it resonates with myself um, twofold. First of all, that was the first ring walk I'd done for um, white collar boxing for a cancer charity. Um, And second of all, it's just, it feels like the lyrics were, it, 
they shout out and scream out to you that they not wanting help, but you can find help. If you listen to that song in the air tonight, you have that feeling when you wake up, it's going to be a good day because it's in the air tonight or oh, I feel like it's going to be a bad day. Um, but the, if you listen to the whole song all the way through, the lyrics do, do cry out with support mm. as well. Um, and it's a powerful message within, within that song. Yeah. It's very emotional as well. A great choice, great song, and I'm sure many would agree with that as well. Let's hope so. So um, before that, we, we spoke about uh, your business, CEO, Reliable Healthcare Group, what you do, and how you prize sort of mental health and emotional well-being. It's at the sort of heart of your um, organisation. And, and, and the, other, um, the, the other aspects of your life in terms of the mental health mentor, um, motivational speaker, stuff that you're doing with Virgin Business Startup, etc., it's intrinsic to you, your mental health. Um, tell me a bit about your journey and your relationship with mental health and your how you manage your emotional well-being and where it starts. So when I was born, I was born with one of the worst cases of asthma. Um, my mum couldn't even hold me for three months. I was in an isolation tent. Um, she had to view from the, the window. Um, so... I, it was really bad. So I, I, as going through the school age, you know, I, I wasn't developing as quick as the other children. I wasn't growing as quickly. Um, and I was on all, all kinds of medication, um, steroids to, to help me grow. Um, and losing nearly half my school life by being in the hospital um, really had not a damaging effect, but, you know, I didn't live a, a normal life as a normal child would. Uh, my mother done an amazing job. Um, she brought me and my brother up on her own um, when I was born for 12 years before she met my stepdad. Um, but my asthma got so bad in school, um, it even affected me at school where I got bullied because I wasn't as tall as other people. I was an easy target. Um, when I was 14, um, my consultant um, said, I've got to be on tablets for the rest of my life. And I said, no, I stopped at 14. Um, fearing the worst. Touch wood, the asthma went up 14, I grew. Um, I got some airs on my leg um, and um, I started to gain confidence. Um, working my way through um, sixth form, I fell into recruitment. Um, but where I started to suffer was work-wise. When I was 17, I felt something went wrong in the business. I thought it was my fault, which it wasn't. Um, I didn't open up to anyone or tell anyone about it. And then I just started to sort of shut myself away. Um, shut myself away from my family, my mum especially, uh, which I shouldn't have, but I felt embarrassed that, you know, if something has gone wrong in business, you know, it's my fault and I'm a nobody. Um, and then one night I took some painkillers, I poured all the powder into the water and drunk it. Um, thinking I'd be better off if not, if I wasn't here. Um, my mum found me and she told me what happened. And that was the day that sort of I got a second chance, but didn't mean my mental health state of mind was completely gone. Um, I, f I feel it got worse because why did I try to take my life? What was so bad? Um, and then as I, I got older, uh, my anxiety got worse. 
I felt everyone was against me still. Um, they, could, they couldn't say anything without me jumping down their throat, even though they was only being nice and genuine. Um, I started to get to depressed, I stopped playing football, which, you know, when you've only got one out there playing football to free your mind, you should never ever stop doing something you love because when you stop doing things, your mind starts going in overdrive. Um, so I try to combat it by being open about it now. Um, I feel that if people do suffer and they're listening and they're the ones that are suffering and not spoke about it, they need to talk about it and be very open about it because that's the way I deal with it now. Be very open about where I am, who I am and where I've come from. Because if people judge me still on it, then I don't want them in my life. Um, if they're gonna give me advice, wrong or right advice, I'm gonna listen to it because I don't know if it's wrong or right because they're, they're still trying to help. Um, but being in, in business has helped me as well. Um, speaking to and meeting new people um, gives me a sense of confidence, but I still get anxiety presenting, talking, I'm anxious right now, you might not be able to hear it in my voice, but presenting, delivering presentations, interviewing new people, um, my anxiety level will never ever go, but I can control it by doing a few things I always do. Um, go to the gym for an hour at nine o'clock. Like you said at the, at the beginning of, of the talk, um, putting phones down. Because mm. the one thing we do with our phone in the morning, when we wake up, what do you do, James? Do you go to the toilet? Do you brush your teeth or do you pick your phone up? I'd like to say I was, uh, I was a, exception to the rule <laughs> I'll pick my phone up and majority of people look at Facebook look mm. at Instagram look at Twitter not to look what time it is and that will put you in a bad mood if you see someone on holiday going oh we're off to Heathrow or Gatwick with a nice photo smiley face you're not that puts you in a bad mood for the rest of the day and that could put you in a bad place I think it's. I, I think you make a really exceptional point, and I know I make a, a joke of it. There is. I, I made um, uh, an observation of of my own bad habits on that. That the, the phone does, like many, got a house phone, but I don't think it's ever it's ever really used, <laughs> yeah. um, other than by just use it for broadband. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or my mother and father-in-law will call on that because they're old school, <laughs> yeah. and I like that. So if that house phone rings, I know that it's going to be my mother-in-law or father-in-law. Uh, so, uh, but so I have my phone charging next to my bed. Uh, but I realised about eighteen months, two years ago, that I was doing that. That I was that I would pick up the phone and I'd be opening up emails, and and immediately you're inviting the rest of the world into bed with you. And like you say, that if it's not through social media and you're looking for emails, there's going to be something in there that stimulates you. That it's yeah. going to be uh, um, something from the outside world that creeps in and um, and already begins to, to put paint on that blank canvas of the day. And we've all got a blank canvas at yep. the beginning of the day, and so therefore it should, we should dictate what colour we add to it rather than the outside world sort of contributing to that picture. Um, so I think that's a really good point. The bit that I want to go back to, because I think it's it's really interesting, is that, and and this is, this is why I love doing this show and, and meeting the guests in the way that I do because I do a minimal amount of research because I want the conversation to be as natural and organic as it were and yeah we had a we've had a couple of conversations yep. and spoke before the show as well but I didn't know anything about that about your childhood as well and that's it's really interesting and also you know arguably builds up quite a high tolerance level on resilience 
to to manage what you were going through at that time but then when you get to 17 you can see that it, it, it almost feels as though it escalated quite quickly yeah well they say children are unbreakable mm. you know they bounce back up and they fall 20 times they get up 21 times mm. um and maybe that's what happened to me my childhood you don't think no no different i think if we had social media back then it would have been totally different for me um i think i'd have been in a worse place mm. as a child than I would. would Why is that, do you think? Um, I think there's a huge social presence on on children of pressure to keep up with their friends. Um, For argument's sake, let's take Christmas, for example. Uh, If I buy my child an iPad, it comes from myself, not Santa Claus. Santa Claus makes the gifts. What happens if a child is being good, but their parents can't afford an iPad, but another child of their, uh, another friend in class has been a bad person, but they got an iPad from Santa. How's that other parent gonna explain it? Um, so it's like keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, my 12 year old's on Instagram, but we monitor Instagram every single day. And we've got an app where it closes Instagram after an hour. So she gets an hour to put posts on or do whatever she wants with her friends, um, but then it closes. Um, social media plays a massive part uh, in our ch- children's and adults' lives. And like we said, it can put you in a good mood or it can put you in a bad mood. Um, why do we need to tell everyone we're going on holiday? Why do we need to tell, well, burglars? Okay, we're going on holiday. There you go, fill your boots. I've got a 50 inch screen on the TV, uh, on the wall, take it. Um, what, you know, it's, it's about telling people what we're buying, what we're doing in our life. When you go for a restaurant, James, how many people do you see take out their phone and take a picture of their food? Yeah, it's frightening. Eat the food, enjoy it. Mm. What we do when we go out, we put all our phones in the middle and the first person to pick up their phone picks up the bill. Yeah, love that. Yeah, um, love that. And <laughs> you can see mm. for three hours, those phones don't get touched mm. and everyone's still all doing the most expensive thing on the menu just in case someone else <laughs> picks it up. Um, but yeah, I think par- as, par- as a parent myself and like yourself, James, we need to manage mm. the children's expectations or when it comes to social media because I put stuff on social media, on YouTube video mm. about my mental health, and my little one picks up on it. Mm. And she goes, well, Daddy, my friends watch your YouTube video. Why do you do that? Mm. And I have to explain to her why and where I've come from and stuff like that. And because children can suffer from anxiety and depression at a mm. young age, I mm. think um, in your professional opinion, James, I'd say it's about four or five years old, it's been told that people can suffer from. Yeah, yeah, we can see that, you know, we can start to see behaviours and symptoms indicative of, of various diagnosis from, from a very young age, you know, from early childhood tra- traumas and attachment issues as well. So it is becoming more um, relevant in society and, and much more spoken about and hence why it needs to be vocalised and shared and there needs to be that level of um, contact with it. Yeah, I, I just think uh, what triggers it as well is like my, my, my past my mother bringing myself and my brother up on her own for 12 years. Um, my dad was out of the picture and he's out of the picture, he's been out of the picture ever since. Mm. And then my stepdad came in 12 years when I was 12. I met him at Cubs, like they met at Cubs when I was, a, <laughs> when I was in Cubs, a sixer. Um, God, you worked your way up to I a sixer. My, I worked my way up to a sixer, yeah. I was, I was really proud. I had Special all the badges. Special as well, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Dib, dib, dob, dob. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Kayla. Um, and I, I can't thank my mum enough, and I don't think we thank our parents enough mm. for what they've done, uh, how they brought us up back then, considerably, obviously my mum was working class, and I'm working mm. class. I called my nanny mum, mm. 
at nursery because I saw her more than I did my mum. Mm. And then I think back on it and go, mum, you was never there for me, but you was. Yeah. You put a roof over my head. You gave me love whenever I wanted love. Mm. You put shirt, uh, clothes on the back, food on the table. Mm. That's all I could ever ask for. You know, if I ever wanted something for Christmas and it was expensive, she would put it on the catalog and pay weekly to, so I can just have it, you know, and I would never ever be thankful enough for my mother the way she's brought me up. Yeah. I think that strives me now to be a better parent yeah. than my dad was, which he wasn't, to, to yeah. my two girls. Um, and that controls my anxiety as well because my kids, I think about my kids and it, it brings down my anxiety, oh, 10, 20 levels. So because there's a purpose there, there's yeah, 100%. There, there, there's an end goal. Mm. And it, in your mindset, you have to have an end goal or you have to have a goal to achieve and that will control, or that's how I control it, my anxiety. I still suffer, I'll still feel it, but at a peaceful level, mm. rather than my monkeys going in my head, telling me things. If you don't say that, this is gonna happen to you. Mm. If you don't say that, you're gonna have a car crash. It's like, why do you think like this? Mm. Well, why would I have a car crash? Because I don't go and shut the door. Mm. But that's, that's the level it gets to. Um, and I think, being a dad is certainly when I, you know, I, I, as a father at 25, and it certainly helped uh, mm. deal with what I was going through up until now. Are you the older or the younger of the brothers? I'm, a, I'm the younger brother. You're my brother's older. 41. Mm. Um, I always say he's right like my father, my real dad. Mm. Um, I'm the postman's or the milkman's. <laughs> I don't think my mum, my, I think my mum is listening <laughs> actually, so I apologise, mum. But um, yeah, uh, we're. Chalk and cheese, you know, we're two, we're two different people. I love my brother to dearly, but I think I've got more drive and motivation mm. and ambition um, to push myself further. Mm. Um, and again, I need that to control. Because mm. my brother doesn't suffer, so he might not have that push and drive to control it. Mm. So I need that to control how I feel on a day-to-day -day basis. I need that guidance. I need, I need that sort of shining star in the sky to follow mm. um, and a personal goal, be it waking up and having breakfast mm. or waking up and having a business meeting or going to the gym at seven instead of eight o'clock at night or whatever it is, I'd always target one personal goal to achieve that day so it can focus my mind. I think it's a again an, another really important point. There's a, a chap named um, Professor Dolan who uh, he's, he's written a couple of books. One's uh, I think the new one might be Happiness by Design. I can't remember the old one, but apologies. Um, but he talks about for us to to experience happiness as opposed to um, authentic happiness. Uh, that that the balance between pleasure and purpose is what enables us, you know. So sometimes we might find ourselves in a period of time where there's a deficit of pleasure. You know, yep. times are hard. The world will constantly ask from us and demand of us. But if there's a purpose, if there's a goal, um, then we can keep going. Then yep. we can keep putting one foot in front of the other. So um, it's great. And obviously, interestingly, at 17, uh, and understandably from a developmental perspective, that that was challenging to come by and and off and left you in a position where you was sort of emptying powder into a, a cup and then drinking it. Yeah, well, it was, it was, why did I do it? That was the question I, I wanted to ask myself. Um, and I think it resonates back when I had asthma. I'd always used to say to my mum, am I gonna die tonight? Mm. Am I gonna wake up in the morning? For, for about three or four years, every night, mum, am I gonna die? Am wow. I gonna die? because it was that bad and I got scared. So I had to go and see a, 
a, a, psych, a psychotherapist mm. about it saying, why are you saying that? Because mm. what I've been through in the past, but it doesn't mean I am gonna die. It's mm. that mentality that I had with the mind monkey saying, you gotta ask these questions because if you don't ask them, you, will, won't, you mm. won't wake up. And obviously mm. I wouldn't know if I won't wake up. But then I realized if I took my own life, my pain is gone. Mm. My suffering is gone, which is great for me. But then I've got my family and friends are gonna suffer every single day of that, especially at that day where I passed away and committed mm. suicide for the rest of their life. Mm. So I'm gonna create unhappiness for them. So when people do think about suicide, it is a short-term solution. Mm. Oh, my pain is gone. But then you're gonna be looking down on your friends and family forever and seeing the pain you've caused by you not being there. Mm. Um, and that's the way I portray it to people now. And, and mm. some people go, well, you, that's right, yeah, because one, 30 seconds of, I've committed suicide, I'm not here no more, mm. creates a lifetime of, of, of pain. Um, and it happened, I don't know if we've got time, but it happened really, a guy was on the bridge um, where I lived. I saw him walking down when I was going mm. to Tesco's. I drove back and he was over the other side of the bridge. Um, so I stopped my car, didn't know what I was doing, but just talking to him and police were there, passers-by were there. And we're lucky enough, I got him back over the bridge after talking to him. And he turned out that he split up with his girlfriend because he came out. Right. So why would you want to, why do you have to take your own life because you're fearful of coming out in this day and age? Mm. It's because it's people's perceptions that damage the person's mind because they don't want to be judged. If you're going to be judged by people and they're going to judge you in a negative way, you don't need them in your life. I mean, that's an incredible story. And do you think because of what you went through, you was able to then... Yeah, 100%. I resonate with what he was going through. Even though I didn't know the reason, there must have been a reason for someone to sit on the other side of the bridge ready to go. And I used the same analogy as if you jump, mm. you're going to cause very much pain for the person who's driving that car you're going to land on to all your friends and family. And it took a while and we got him over and then I'm still friends with him today. That's four years ago this happened. Um, and we're still friends and we, we catch up now and then mm. we meet up to see how he's getting on and stuff like that but I made a friend out of it because I promised mm. him that you come over this fence and I'll be your friend for life mm. and because what I went through and I didn't really have the support network because I didn't open up which I know my mum would have given me that support if I opened up mm. but I didn't that was my choice so the point I'm getting at is you need to open up would I your mum and brother were they aware of what you were going through at the time you didn't I mean have you spoken to them about it although you didn't open up and say where you was at do you think that they knew something was not quite no right? I lived behind a smile James right. you know I played football um, for a Saturday team I played for the school um, I was heading the laptop and stuff you know I'd lock my way in, in my room and stuff like that mm. and they wouldn't know no different when I come down hi mum you're alright how you doing had a good day what you been up to what you been up to Lee this is what I've been up to hid it totally mm. that's the worst thing I should that's the worst thing I've ever done mm. is hide it from my parent why should I hide it I'm her son unless I do something really really bad and against the law then she should judge me on that mm. but not judge me just because I'm suffering and when my mum said, she, when she found me, she, when I came around after trying to take my own life and she found me, she said, Lee, don't you ever do that again. I'm your mum. Mm. I'll always love you and I will always listen to you. So mm. please don't do that again. 
and it stuck. So I speak to my mum twice, twice a week um, because where she lives and we always have the same conversation. It makes me smile that I'm still here today to have that conversation with my mum. Mm. Um, but it's just, you just, I keep making the point, open up. Yeah. Like break the stigma, it's okay not to be okay, but it's okay if people judge you but don't have them in your life. Mm. You can literally cut them out of your life if they're going to judge you because they're, they're not there to support you. No, I think, you, you know, again, it's, 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 a, it's a soapbox moment, but I'll, I'll constantly sort of push people to develop a level of healthy selfishness, yeah. constantly looking to prioritise self. And, and I think the distinction we draw between healthy selfishness and unhealthy selfishness is that healthy selfishness is about prioritising self and unhealthy selfishness is action at the expense of others. Yeah. But really it is about sticking on that healthy selfishness side okay. and saying, am I okay? What do I need? Um, and then, you know, if it is talking to someone else, if it's being with others, if it's sharing, you know, that's that's what we need to survive and, and nourish ourselves in some way. Um, but we have got to talk. We have got to be surrounded by people that are adding value to our life. Anyone yeah. that isn't, as you say, we just need to get rid um, because life can be too short and um, Absolutely. it's hard. Well, you look at Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. I'm only on there for my business. But people have around about a thousand to two thousand Facebook friends. Mm. Out of those friends, they most really have about five or six real friends. Mm. Why not just have those five or six real friends in the real world where mm. you can talk to, rather than you know looking at everyone's postings and stuff mm. like that? Because it just it just gets you down. So concentrate on your real friends. It is. I think put in perspective on it again. I saw a fantastic post the other day that said, um, "Don't be don't be too consumed or preoccupied by." Um, by likes on social media, Hitler had millions, Jesus had 12. So, <laughs> you know, there is, there's an importance of having Absolutely. those, you say, like five friends that mean something to you that are adding that value. They're the, they're the individuals that are going to enrich your life. They're the yeah. ones that, are, you know, they say, don't they, that your friends know everything about you and still like you at the end of the day. <laughs> those are the relationships that you want around. Well, those two of my friends are still there. That's <laughs> yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. There's depth <laughs> and longevity to those relationships. I... Um, I, I think that, you know, with suicide being a um, a really important topic, but also quite a taboo topic as well, I'm, I'm pleased that you, you're comfortable enough to share it. And I think, you know, when I, when I spend time with individuals in work and we, you know, that have thoughts around suicide or, or there's intent there as well, um, there's a lot of fear that, that, that goes with that conversation for the patient, for the individual that I'm working with. And what I often speak about to them is that believe it or not it's the brain doing what it believes it needs to do not the act of taking life but but distilling our existence down to a binary process on or off hot or cold black or white because with the as i said with the the demands of the world with it asking so much of us as you alluded to earlier that sort of monkey brain pinging backwards and forwards and we can't find a solution when the brain feels under under so much pressure and with us being sort of self-preserving organisms we want to live for as long as possible in as least discomfort and we're pre-programmed to move away from discomfort towards comfort we'll always go and seek and search out pleasure but when we when we find ourselves in a period of crisis where it all becomes too much that's we've reached a point where our, our brain is sort of percolated or distilled it down to this point where it goes wow if this is life 
then I choose the opposite. We're working on that primitive brain function that is just hot or cold, on or off, on or off. So by the time it sort of manifests into a cognitive state, then it is beginning to flirt with that idea of, of not being here. But but even just the thought of that, and as I say to some of the people that I work with sometimes, that thought brings pleasure yeah. because it's giving us an out, just the very thought of it. But, 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 we have to flip it to the other side of the fence and say, you know, look, there is there is pleasure, there is happiness in here. Yes, it feels that there is a we're in a position of crisis, yeah. but it doesn't last. And your testament to that, you know, in that in those moments when you were seventeen, it felt like there wasn't any point, yeah. and actually it would be easier. But look, you know, I'm a firm believer things happen for a reason, mm. and I live by that rule. Yeah. Um, I wasn't taken away at that time. Mm. Now I've got two gorgeous children. Mm. I'm a dad for a reason, you know. It's it's you got to believe that if you if you live the life by things happen for a reason, then I think you'd go far because you you can create your own destiny, but when things happen, take it in sort of your stride mm. and, and and make sure you're doing it for the, the good of yourself. Mm. Um, and you just got you just stay focused. Yeah. Let's go into your second song. Yes. Lee. yes. And uh, a, a real change of mood with this one. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, so stick with us. Uh, this is Lee's second choice of the show. Um, we're definitely changing gears now. Uh, it is a blast from the past. Uh, grab yourself another cup of tea. Fill up your drink. Uh, we'll be back after this. Listen to this sound. Run, come gather round. Who goes there? DJ London the MC Need. This time, introducing the JJ. JJ, yeah, yeah. Everyone's feeling happy. It's hot to July. Though the water's full of problems, they wouldn't know it even if they tried. From the park, I hear rhythms. She's nice up the spot Tonight there will be a party And on the corner at the end of the block I didn't know you We'll be jamming it to the break of dawn What did nobody ever tell you did you We'll be jamming it to the break of dawn We'll be jamming, we're jamming, we're jamming, we're coming To take the time, I freaky dicky that's how we like it. Freaky dicky that's how we do. Jamming, what about no with the crew? Step on the dance floor, see what you do. Never know, could be someone that you like. Ideal partner to dance all night. I come down just to build up a vibe, keep a jamming all night. Block up, block while for a while. We come down with the rolling style. Begging if we do that, we do that, we do that, we do that. Begging if we do that, no. Who got beating on the one and the two? We got a rude boy crew inside the van. Yo, better just understand that we came down here to make the open jam. Listen in my plan, my dan I got the answer to your question Tell me right now what you're there upon Music is my only weapon Feel the vibe is my answer I roll it with the master blaster We want you to join the party Want your answer, okay You've got to let all your worries 
Feel the vibe, is my answer Rolling with the master, blaster Feel the vibe, is my answer Rolling with the master, blaster Yeah, yeah Jam it, jam it, jam it, come on Phoenix FM. Welcome back. It's me, James Rose, and this is the Happiness Algorithm. Ha, ha, happiness Algorithm. Uh, it's me, James Rose, and this is the Happiness Algorithm. I'm pleased to say that Lee Glynn uh, is still uh, in the studio with me. Uh, and that last part, honestly, Lee, was, was really quite powerful. And I think a lot of people can um, can relate to what you spoke about there. And um, and I think it's a really important message Um what you shared and I, I'm pleased that you you've done it here on the happiness algorithm well, thank you I just, uh, if I can help even one person understand obviously that they're not the only one going through it that I have actually been there I'm still going through it and I'm still dealing with it and I can lead a life so can they yeah absolutely and we mustn't jump over uh, your last song choice Master. DJ like <laughs> MC Neat Master Blaster. Yeah, I think it's um, my pre-Hollywood um, days in Romford. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I think I was 21 when the song came out. Um, and I think some of the lyrics resonate with me by feel the vibe is my answer. So it puts me in a good mood, puts me in a good vibe. Anytime I listen to it, be it in the gym, on the way to work, in the office, it just empowers me. It, it puts a smile on my face. Hopefully, it put a smile on the face to your listeners. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, the, so, twenty-one years old. Um, obviously, a few years on from from seventeen, and that really um, difficult time for you. What was life like for you at twenty-one? Um, it was okay. It, I, I wouldn't say it was the, the best life. It was the perfect life. Cause I was, at that age, I was getting round uh, my head why my father didn't want to be in my life, mm. um, and he chose his, um, I'd say, extended family or his instant family over, mm. over myself. Um, my brother my brother lived with him. So obviously um, it was a case of, okay, one brother, not the other. I think it was because he knew when I used to go and stay with him as a child, um, where I'd give my mum respite, that I didn't really want to be there. Mm. Um, so I think he put me to the back burner. Um, but it was just, I just wanted answers really, why he did what he did. Um, and I've still not got them answers to date. Um, mm. And I've not seen him for 13, 14 years. Um, and I've just give up on finding that. Um, so back at 21, um, I'll say it was, a, it, was, it was a good time for me personally. Again, playing football at a higher level. Um, I think at 21, I was over at Dagenham Redbridge. Um, unfortunately, that didn't last because I had a better player than me and that's in that certain position. Uh, but I was on the sort of semi-pro scene, mm. um, which, was, which was great um, to, to, to play with some good footballers. Um, Pleased that it came back into your life because you say at, at, when you around that sort of difficult period at 17, you withdrew from everything. Yeah. So you pulled back. So getting back into doing something that was so important to you, um, added that value to your life again oh massively um i needed to find a distraction um what i can enjoy and what i can take my mind away from everything else for 90 minutes all i thought about was scoring goals and playing mm. football and i didn't think about nothing else and some people say well that's a bad thing isn't it because 90 minutes you're, you're all up and then straight away as soon as that final whistle goes you're back down with a bump um 
it's not because sometimes you forget what you're you're thinking mm. um, and it might be for a couple of hours where you're in the in the clubhouse with your, your football mates having a drink having something to eat and it's only when you go home at night where it's quiet you start thinking about stuff so you think how important that was to me that four or five hours where I wasn't even thinking about anything else it was a safe haven it mm -hmm. was like a relief and then you have to go back and start dealing with um, your, your anxiety again which is a vicious circle but that's what it is unfortunately yeah and I, yeah I mean because I, I suppose one of those the, the myths we must dispel is that anxiety is part of our the, the fabric of our existence we we can't ever be uh, we can't ever be without or absent from anxiety yeah. we're always gonna we're always gonna feel it in in some way or another it is a you know it's something that is a it's a primitive re response to what we consider to be a perceived threat or danger so yeah. so we're, we're fighting against evolution if we ever think that we're going to be without it but sometimes it can be the right response at the right time and and sometimes right response at the wrong time yeah, um, people. That's, anxiety can work in a good way. Mm. Like if you're going on holiday, you get people that don't like to fly. Mm. They get anxious about flying, but when they're on holiday, they enjoy mm. it. So they're they're looking forward to going on holiday, but they're not looking forward to the flight. Mm. So it's a catch twenty two. You've got yeah. to get on a plane to get to your holiday mm. destination, and it's a bit like what I look at. I've got to suffer from my anxiety and deal with it to get to my final destination or mm. what other destinations that I want to get to in my life or journey. Mm. Um, you're never going to be without anxiety. And like we said, James, it can be on different levels. It could be level one, mm. where it's just walking down the street and you might see someone that you've known from school and you don't want to talk to them because you get anxiety about it. Or it could be that you don't want to leave the house. You don't want to go to shops. You don't want to see people. You don't want to talk to the cashier. You don't want to put the food on there. You don't want to touch the food because someone's someone's touched it before you bought it um so it can go to a level 10 but that person's only going to know what level they're at and they're they're the only ones who are going to be able to deal with that level um because no one can actually read their mind to figure out right how far are you of your anxiety and how can we deal with it but every single person i'm a firm believer suffers from some form of anxiety uh, and you uh, you know when you're talking about the football there those 90 minutes I think sometimes we need to be, well, there's a, there's a sheet sometimes I do with the children that come to the hospital is that doing something different to get a different result. I think quite often um, we underestimate or underrate the importance of distraction. Now, distraction, I think, is a, is a phenomenal intervention. I think where people tend to go slightly wrong is when it tips into avoidance. Yeah. They pretend what they're feeling or they try to pretend what they're feeling isn't actually happening. So anxiety or depression or fear or whatever it may be. But but certainly distraction is, is one of those wonderful things because I think we've all been there where maybe we've you know we've left left the house to move to work uh, head off to work and maybe had a bit of a, a ding dong with our partner or whatever it may be then we get into work and we crack on with what we need to do and because we're doing something different or forced to be doing something different the brain can take care of what we need to do and then a little bit later we ring the missus and say oh yeah sorry about that yeah I overreacted a bit this morning and so the importance of being able to create a bit of distance between what we're feeling in that moment uh, use distraction to, to provide some working space, if you like, for the brain to get on with what it can do. And then when we, when we revisit it, I'm not saying that it, it takes everything away, but certainly it can give us almost a slightly different perspective. Do I need to worry as much as what I was yep. before then? Yep. Or is there, you know, if I'm looking at it with some fresh eyes or a, a different sort of mindset, am I then able to sort of 
look for a solution or again like we said at the top of the show can I find someone to talk to about it yeah you're, you're definitely right you, you spoke about uh, distraction and variety different distractions and I'll use an analogy of the variety pack Kellogg's, Kellogg's variety pack you know you get seven different or eight different packs of breakfast cereal when you wake up and you have cornflakes every single day it gets boring that's all you're eating cornflakes every day but when you open a variety pack you've got choices and that's what you make at the beginning of the day, a choice. So if you select the breakfast that you want, it's gonna put you in a good mood. I always used to go for the ricicles. Uh, not a lot of people like them, but I went for the ricicles. And it always used to put me in a good mood because there was a pack of ricicles. Um, and it's certainly taking each day, when you go into that day, what are you gonna do? And variety is, is the spice of life. And it does change your mindset. So if you're trying something new in, you, in your job, that you've got to do something different, it distracts you completely and like I say it puts the the thoughts that you had at the back of your brain and you you portray to and project to the actual actions that you're going to take on this new thing that you're going to undertake um so i'd always say to to distract you from your anxiety or depression is try something new um don't have the same every single day the best drug in the world is change yeah which is something that that many many people fear change yep. uh, but it's having that confidence to to do that inform those decision uh, decisions and, and and go ahead and and you know i think that what what's important to recognize is what's working now so yep. uh, enjoying the ricicles that's another blast from the past <laughs> yeah. with a little yep. spaceman on absolutely um yep. we're showing our age now <laughs> um but the you know the the enjoyment of what's working uh will will carry us through for a period of time but yeah. then there is this emphasis that we need or this recognition that we have to apply that it won't always work and things change so yeah. then we readjust and we find something else and we can revisit it yeah. that if we because i think you know we've touched on this before and, and people have heard me talk about this on the show that we live in such a symptom driven culture and there's 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 um uh, over emphasis or focus on reducing symptoms so let's just bring the reduction or let's let's bring anxiety down and increase mood sometimes that's quite short-lived that the intervention is just a tool yep. it just enables it for that period of time and you know we've got to keep adjusting and we've got to keep moving and, and rolling with it so um youtube yes another wonderful platform to share um your youtube channel lee is uh, it's just legal in uh, mental health. Uh, How long have you been using? Do you know what? YouTube is something that in the last few years since my little one's been going on it, especially my four-year-old just to watch <laughs> children's programs, she's a whiz on it. Um, I felt like it could be a platform for me to do some videos to get my word across. But as you, under, as you know, that if you're not a celebrity or anything like that, you can't get the views and your word out there. But I use it as a mechanism to sort of unleash how I was feeling really more to quite therapeutic yeah more than to say hi guys look at this you're I'm going to change your life I'm going to be able to help you it was the way I was feeling to deal with my feelings and put it in front of a camera to like I was looking at myself so I was talking to another person um so it's but the videos I think I've got around about 20 videos on there at the moment um it talks about ch uh, depression in children um anxiety how to deal with anxiety and depression, what trigger points you need to look for, um, day to day, how I'm actually feeling today. So if I'm in a, uh, feeling in a mood or I'm really bad, I'll put on, 
I've just been to a meeting. I was like, I had very high anxiety. This is how I dealt with it. Um, there's a lot of different videos on there, a lot of different content. So if people want to go and look at it and even leave comments on it, they feel free or just to just to watch it. I'd be more than happy because if it helps that one person, that that's all I ask for. And and what I like about the videos is is that it is you. It's, it's a genuine yep. in the moment capture how you're feeling, whether you've left the gym or like you yep. say a meeting as well. And My hair's all messy, <laughs> baseball cap on, yeah, t-shirt, tracksuit, yeah. But and and I think that's the that's what makes the content so relatable. That's what makes it accessible as well because you're not you're not someone that is you know you're not sitting on a you know on your high horse or on a throne yeah. saying you know it's all perfect. I've been through it and look at me now. You're saying look this is real yeah. and it's hard, yeah. but and you can do it. And it's and it's truthful. It's from the heart. You know, mm. it's off the cuff. It's mm. not scripted. Mm. It's off the cuff and. I think people can see genuinely it is off the cuff by the emotions that I do play in the video mm. because sometimes I'm tearful, sometimes I'm joyful, mm. um, but it's whatever mood whatever mood I'm in. And, and it, if it helps anyone else, if they feel they can put their feelings down on paper or, or on video, even if they don't send the video, they just put it on their phone and it helps and then do it. It certainly helps me. Yeah, well, as, and as you say, that there's there is it's quite a therapeutic process. Like you say, it's almost as if you're talking to someone. And when yeah. we are feeling vulnerable, and and when we are vulnerable and fragile, we we do generally tend to feel quite isolated. Being able to commit that, we speak a lot in the world of psychology about keeping, you know, mood diaries or th thought journals, and yeah. you know, with the platform that uh, the technology that we've got at our fingertips, as much as it can be a bit, it can be a curse. It can be a blessing as well yeah. to be able to do things like that. And if we upload it, and as you say, if it helps one other person to be able to relate to that, then that that's that's yeah. gold dust, isn't it? That that's magic. One of the questions that, when I was looking back through your videos, that came to mind was quite interesting because they're over about a eighteen month, couple of year period, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Have you ever visited? Have you ever gone back to look at some of those early videos? Always do. Yeah, not well, to not for, for no, like to, to critique them in any way. <laughs> do you know what? I I, won't, I don't critique it, but I think, wow, one I might have come so far in my journey in that eighteen months, and I don't feel like that now. Or two, that still resonates with me now that I'm still going through that. Um, but at the point of the videos, when I look back eighteen months ago, and I'm thinking, okay, I have taken a step forward. That means progression mm. um, and progression is key because people that suffer don't feel that they can take progression. That's why they don't speak out because they don't think they can take the next step. Mm. But if you see one step in front of the other foot and it's progressed even at a millimeter, you've taken progression. You've not taken a step backwards, you're taking a, a millimeter step forward. And, and that's what's key. I, I, I'm I'm pleased that I'm pleased and I look you said younger that. as well. <laughs> <laughs> it gets to us all. It gets to us all. Um, but I I think that is the importance of that recording process, whether it be uh, written word, spoken word, um, you know, video or, or whatever it may be. Because if someone said to me once, you know, if we're not um, if we're not keeping score, how do we know we're winning? And I and to be able to track the journey. Yeah. And not only just over an 18-month period, but um, when we s said earlier that we generally tend to worry more at night time. We yeah. worry more at night time because the brain's not going to be running at full capacity. Right. You know, from an evolutionary perspective, the brain begins to shut down at a certain time in the day. It's, it's uh, dictated seasonally as well. So, so, you know, when a thought pops into our head in the evening, it does 
generally tend to generate a little bit more friction than we would like because as I say not all resources are available and so when we ask people to to you know to write down that mood diary to commit something to paper we're saying look pop it on there it's not going to go anywhere and we can we can look at it again in the morning yeah does it worry us as much the next day as it did last night and more often not no but if it does then we've got a you know another blank canvas to start the day to to attack it head on and i think you know as you say that over that 18 month period to look at where you've come from to where you are now but also to see that there's still a struggle that you're still fighting the fight that you're still employing the same and similar or different coping mechanisms to manage that is 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 crucial i feel that if you could admit that you're going to suffer still Again, that's another step you've taken. You're not going to be cured. It's not like you've got um, a skin rash and you can take calamar lotion and it goes. This stays with you for the rest of your life. That's my opinion. I don't think I can ever, ever get rid of my anxiety. Depression, I can maybe control the levels of it and get the levels down, but anxiety would always remain with me. And that's something I've adjusted to and been able to deal with. So sometimes you've got to accept it rather than fight against it. Um, and go with the grain, not against the grain, as they say. Acceptance, I think, is one a, a word that's often used and abused, and uh, but it is. And I, I, you know, I sort of interchange the word acceptance and accommodation as well. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to our anxiety, our depression, or, or you know, whatever we're struggling with, doesn't need to define who we are. No, hundred percent not. But if we can find room for it, it doesn't. It doesn't determine our identity, but we increase our awareness and then understand how we respond to situations sometimes it'll be better than others but it's it's there you know yeah. i suppose it's you know there's a wonderful analogy i think it's called parts of self theory and it talks about being the ceo of an organization and it says that you know good ceos or good mds good good heads of departments generally respect give time to all of the um employees in that team yeah the ones that tend to uh, are not very good CEOs or MDs are ones that tend to favour the ones that they like the most. Yeah. And the trouble with that is that the ones that are being ignored will kick up more of a fuss and end up causing more problems that it's worth. Yeah. And it's a bit like our brain. You know, we have to be the CEO of our of our yep. functioning system. And we've all got bits that we don't like yep. and we've all got bits that we favour. But if we tend to ignore the bits that we don't like, the anxiety or the depression or whatever it may be, it can cause more problems than, than it's worth. And then, you know, the, the organisation, the system's going to crash. Yep. Whereas if we accept it, you know, to use your, your turn of phrase there, if we can accept it, we can find room for it, we're going we're gonna to do all you're right. Gonna de- you're going to deal with it. You're, you're certainly right with CEOs, you know, I would take advice from a cleaner mm. if it was going to enhance my business. Mm. Um, there's no egos in my business. Everyone works together. And I think that's 90% of businesses are out there that they have the same formula. You know, everyone is on the same level no matter what their title mm. is because everyone brings something different to the table. Yeah. Um, and I think anxiety in people bring personality as well. I look at it, anxiety is a personality. Mm, That's mm, why I look at it, mm. it enhances some people's personality as well mm. um, in, in, a, in a funny way. Um, but like I said, you've got you to find space for it mm. because if you find space for it, you can accommodate it and you can deal with it. Yeah. And it's that authenticity. It, it doesn't it, it say it's not It's not something that's going to corrupt the system. It's what we're all blessed and cursed with and we mustn't be too frightened of it, but we've got to talk to others. Absolutely. 
Wow, we're flying through the show. Um, so we will let's go in. What? Well, I mean, the, your last song choice couldn't be more apt. Uh, so we're going to go into your last song choice. This will be the last break of the show. Uh, when we come back, we will uh, we'll be talking to Lee about any tips, any advice, any words of wisdom he can share with you all about um, not just about anxiety and depression, um, looking at all mental health, uh, all of our emotional well-being and uh, what what we can do to make ourselves that little bit happier and what he does to make himself happier. So uh, don't go anywhere. A quick short break. We'll be back after this. And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way Regrets, I've had a few But then again to mention I did what I had to do saw it through without exemption I planned each charted course each careful step along the byway and more Much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was dark, my fill my share of losing and now as tears subside I find it all so amusing to think I did all that and may I say Not in a shy way Oh no Oh no, not me I did it my way For what it is 
not himself Then he has not to say the things He truly feels And not the words of one who kneels The record shows I took the blow Yes, it's the final part of the show, The Happiness Algorithm, with me, James Roast, and that was Old Blue Eyes, uh, the late, great Frank Sinatra with My Way, and what a song to finish on there. Um, an excellent choice there, Lee, an excellent choice. And in fact, we are also joined in the studio by Mr. Ian Lee. I'm so happy. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ian, how are you doing? All right, my algorithm's just there right just now. There. It's, it was it's the, there. It was the drawer of the song as well. It pulled you in, didn't it? And it, and it, and it was Lee, Lee's aftershave. It was. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Well, I love that smell. That is nice. Uh, best dressed man in Essex. He is. <laughs> and he's putting us to shame. If, I mean, I could go out in the van. I've got a suit in the van and put it with a shirt. I could. Uh, I'm I could. disappointed you've not come in. I could, yeah. but that style that is. It's a good is. job I'm on radio, so I'm actually <laughs> blushing right now. <laughs> um, and he's got hair. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, he's, again, putting Gray. us to shame. The Gray swine. Yeah. The swine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lee, what a, uh, an amazing last song as well, and uh, I think quite apt as well to sort of bring the show to, to a close, really. Yeah. Uh, why that song? Um, I feel like no matter what support you're going to get, um, what you're going through, you, you have to have that element to do it your own way, um, and you've got to open up first of all, so you're doing it your own way. Um, and it resonates with me because I love Rat Pack and Frank Sinatra as well. And it's my go-to song as well when I want to go to sleep. It always puts me in a good mood. Yeah, uh, absolutely. A monumental song, but yeah. but so emotionally... Uh, it packs a punch. Yeah. Packs a massive punch. Packs a massive punch. So... Uh, we are coming into the last uh, four or five minutes of the show. Go on, get off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's kicking me out. He's kicking me no, out. No, I'm not, I'm not. You're not Scott Ross. You can stay. You can stay. Uh, so we always close the show in the same way. We look for uh, tips, advice, uh, suggestions that people can, uh, can take on board that you use in your own day-to-day life um, and, and bring about a little bit of happiness in their world. Absolutely. So I'll give three tips that mm-hmm. I always follow by. And um, we've just had a discussion why the, the, ads, were, the ads were planned. Uh, comedy, laughter is the best medicine. Um, mm-hmm. Only Fools and Horses is my go-to show. If I'm feeling down, I've seen Only Fools and Horses, all the episodes, hundreds and hundreds of times. But it always makes me laugh. Um, so if you've got a comedy or a favourite programme that makes you laugh, if you're feeling a little bit down or anxious... Pull it on and laugh at it. No matter how loud you laugh, laugh. Yeah. Um, tip two, if you've got post-it notes, 
I, I don't really like post-it notes, but I, I, I have a pack at home um, and I write things that I want to achieve the next day. Um, I write them down in, at the nighttime and put them in the bathroom on the mirror, um, on my bedroom door and my front door as I'm about to leave. So whenever I'm going in any room, I can see these things that I want to achieve. I do um, that. Yeah? Yeah, don't forget your keys. Don't forget, yeah. <laughs> Shut the door. Yeah. That, that put put your trousers on. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that a few times, walking out all my trousers because I'm so drawn into what I need to achieve. Um, but it does give you that focus as well for that day on what you want to, to be able to do. Um, and then the number one tip is obviously talk. Um, you can't control it. You can't tell people to do it. But if you talk, like you said, James, a problem shared is a problem half and it will make you feel so much better it made me feel so much better when i started to open up about how i was feeling and why i tried to take my own life and it's changed me as a person um today who i am and you still and you i'd you say you're still living by that as well and, and it's been a you know look Lee, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here and and you sharing that story and and having this conversation and talking and I hope that those listening are able to to take something from today and even if, if it's talking to a loved one or a work colleague or approaching their boss as well and and it's not it's not about getting it perfectly right no. any words will do just just getting them out there is a starting point you know and and you can then you you can meander and you can move in different directions and you know we're not we're lifting ourselves out of that position of of isolation and and then hopefully access the support and the help we need whether it be professional or whether it's just through through a, a friend or a loved one yeah i think they're real uh, i think they are definitely definitely top tips and i think we should all uh we should all take these away for uh away with us for the for the next week so just to reiterate what lee had said so laughter laughter is the best medicine i think we all know that and there'll be plenty of laughter uh for the two hours after three three hours after three hours thanks for listening <laughs> 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 a seasoned pro <laughs> uh, plenty of laughter in the next three hours uh, from three till six uh, post-it notes so reminders uh, as you said earlier today purpose goals what we need to do what we want to achieve for that day and talk and, talk. and make sure we talk uh, Lee an absolute pleasure absolute pleasure uh, I will be uh following your career and seeing what you're doing and love to have you back on the show at some point Lee you've got a stalker yeah, exactly. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Distraction. Um, <laughs> for those that um, that have enjoyed the uh, show today uh, and want to listen back to it, the uh, podcast will be available in the next sort of, 24 to 48 hours on all the usual platforms. Um, Lee, if they want to get in touch with you through your YouTube channel, LinkedIn, or other social media, what, where can they reach yeah, you? So you can reach us on uh, www.reliablehealthcaregroup.co.uk. That's our newly polished website. Um, on LinkedIn Reliable Healthcare Group um, same as Twitter Facebook and Instagram so if you just type in Reliable Healthcare Group we'll be there uh, my personal one is Mr Recruitment so if you want to get in touch with me because you are suffering or you've, you've I've hit a, a sweet spot please feel free um, but yeah so I've thoroughly enjoyed being here James and hopefully um, someone's taken Sank away let's hope so I'm sure they have I'm sure they have uh, thank you very much this is the end of the show I've been James Rose this has been the Happiness Algorithm I'll be back next week uh, with more uh, amazing guests lined up for you Woo! there we go have a good week be happy people
Brentwood and Billericay. This is Phoenix FM News.